but even in the general population, now I'll, I'll move from you know, the top 1% of competitive athletes into the general population. And a lot of these folks that are just going on regular diets will uh, start eating clean or whole foods, which, uh, you know, instead of fast food or packaged food, you get a lot lower sodium intake, which is, which is good to a point. Uh, but over-restricting salt, again, can start causing people to feel tired and fatigued. We also see uh, people get so low in salt that they start having, uh, start getting dizzy and lightheaded. And they'll get into a gym and maybe they'll sit down and do a leg press and then they'll stand up and they'll start getting dizzy. Some of your audience may know what that feeling's like. I see it often, especially in upper middle-aged or elderly uh, women. And I've been training, you know, all ages for over 30 years. And so I see it often enough that it's a concern if somebody stands up from a seated position and they feel dizzy. Oftentimes that's a result of uh, low sodium intake and that their, their blood pressure is unable to uh, regulate itself when they stand up. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturate, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I've got the amazing Stan Effendine back on the podcast. He's the world's strongest pro bodybuilder and creator of The Cooler, but The Cooler is no longer in existence, in it, is it? That sort of wrecks that little introduction now. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. The cooler it, anymore, it, was, hey? it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> <laughs> he's on to other he's on to other things uh now he's the creator of the vertical diet which is amazing check that out he's been on the podcast th- twice now i think already and we got such great um feedback and so go back and listen to him i won't get him to do his whole spiel about who he is because he's done that before um but stan just maybe update everyone on what the two things you were telling me about the new things that you've been doing which are pretty cool or doing in the process yeah. of doing yeah, exciting new stuff. Probably number one is the, the Vertical Kids Power Hour, where uh, every Sunday at Sin City Iron at my gym here in Las Vegas, we're training little kids. Well, from kindergarten to college, I like to say, but most of them are just little kids, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And we bring them in and we teach them how to squat, bench, and deadlift. And we, of course, make it safe, but most importantly, we make it fun. And the American Academy of Pediatrics has a position stand that says that uh, resistance training is essential, their word, for uh, adolescence. And uh, for a host of reasons, as you know, especially for young women, uh, the bone mineral density is the most of it is developed in adolescence. And, um, but just for strength, for injury prevention in terms of sports participation, etc. Uh, so they want them, want them to get started early. And I think that's great to hear. It's very low uh, injury potential. It's probably comparable to that of swimming, of all things. Uh, matter of fact, over 65% of injuries in the gym occur as a result of someone dropping a weight on themselves, not actually lifting weights. So, wow, uh, yeah, we've been having a lot of fun with it. And uh, it's it was covered by the local news. And now we have over 25 kids that come in every weekend and, and squat bench and deadlift. And we have extra time. We'll do some med ball throws and some chin-ups and some uh, uh, box jumps and stuff. But it's it's a lot of fun. Kids enjoy it. Oh, that's so cool. And he actually just moved too. If you could see what I was looking at, he's moved into this huge property, <laughs> its own indoor pool. And uh, he's been you know, only trained three times in the last three weeks because he's been out, you know, maintaining the millions of hectares of land that he's now got. 
<laughs> I used to live in a house that was like rock and turf. I haven't, haven't owned a land, piece of landscaping equipment in over a decade. And then I moved into this huge acre and a half property with 9,000 square feet of home. And, and now it's like, I'm like Mr. Maintenance Man. I, get, I make it to the gym about once a week if I'm lucky. Uh, until I get everything all in order, and of course, but uh, it's it's been it's been fun. I my family's growing. My kids are getting older. My my pops is ninety two, and he lives with me. And we have our extended family. My wife's Samoan Malia, uh, uh, who runs the Bai Kalani Clothing, very very popular now. Uh, oh, cool. Bai Kalani Clothing on uh, Facebook Lives, and so we had to make room for her business and uh, our shipping and receiving, and then all the relatives and. So anyhow, we we got a bigger place, and we're we're loving it. So we're still here in Las Vegas. It's it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. We're enjoying it. That's so cool. And what was the other thing? Tell everyone the other thing that you're doing. Oh yeah, you know a couple things. I worked the better part of last year with John Jones, and uh, some people may have noticed recently he's a, he was a UFC light heavyweight champion, and he just signed a, a heavyweight bout, a title fight against Cyril Gaon uh, that's supposed to go off at the end of March. Um, and, uh, Henry Cejudo is a Olympic gold medalist and two time, uh, two different weight class UFC champion. He signed a title fight for April. So I'm headed down to Arizona tomorrow to start working with Henry. So that'll be fun. Uh, we just alternate weeks. So I'll go down for a week and then my, uh, business partner and, and, uh, cohort and Matt, Matt Whitmer out of beat personal training in Cincinnati. We'll alternate weeks and, and help Henry through this last 10 weeks of camp until he fights for the title. Wow. So do you like helping with his nutrition, his training? Like what yep. do you do? Yeah, both. That's what we do. Yeah. Strength yeah. and conditioning and nutrition. Yeah. That's what we work on. Oh, I'd be killing it with the diet, with the vertical diet, obviously be so optimized. Yeah, I hope so. You know, it, it, that's, that's the goal is just to make people perform better and feel better along the way. And uh, a lot of times that's something that uh, a lot of athletes don't pay too careful attention to, nor do they have the budget to bring in someone to kind of professionally help them through that. Mm. Uh, it's becoming more and more important. I mean, we know strength training is huge, mm. um, but uh, you know, a lot of the college kids that I worked with back in the mid nineties would just eat at McDonald's. I <laughs> <laughs> think times have changed, you know, there's a, there's a really important uh, uh, things that you can do to optimize performance with training and, and through, yeah. or with nutrition. So. Yeah, preaching to the choir here, Stan. Preaching to the choir. I agree. Listening, going, oh, Stan, we love it. We love it. Okay, cool. All right. Well, now that we've had the update, I thought that I'd get Stan to just, we're going to do a really short podcast on yeah. something that he loves, which is salt. And I think that it's really demon. I feel like women, you know, they come into our program and they're often under eating salt, not eating much salt at all. And they're really scared of eating salt. So let's, let's tell everyone the truth about salt. Yeah, let's back up and kind of get a big picture view first. Uh, you know, originally when I started talking about salt, I'm talking to athletes, you know, less than 1% of the population uh, about performance with respect to getting adequate electrolytes, sodium and potassium in particular. And, uh, you know, a lot of those people, they're training hard every day. They sweat a lot um, and you sweat out a lot of salt. And, you know, I, I talked about not restricting salt. That often happens with the bodybuilding figure physique bikini industry. They get a, uh, you know, an inexperienced guru coach and they start pulling out salt because you can see some, you know, some immediate changes in scale weight, but it's just water and it compromises performance and recovery and a host of other things that are very important in terms of hydration. So I would often see 
amongst these competitive bikini and figure girls in particular, uh, they would start limiting sodium uh, weeks out from a show, if not months, uh, because they would see a, a pound or two of scale weight drop, and that would just be water, of course. This is commonly what happens with the keto diet. You know, when you're, you don't eat carbohydrates and you diminish glycogen, well, it's three to four parts water for that glycogen, and 70% of that sodium. And so you often see a drop in scale weight, but it's not reflective of lean body mass. And uh, you also see in a lot of people a, a decrease in performance, which was a particular concern for me because our industry centers around retaining lean body mass. And that's what you're trying to display uh, in any of your bodybuilding bikini figure physique shows. So that's when I originally talked about it probably five or six years ago on the, uh, on the uh, podcast I did or it was a seminar I did with Hofthor Bjornsson up in Iceland, quite popular, had over 7 million views. And then a lot of people in the medical and academic community kind of misconstrued or misapplied uh, my recommendations to the general public, uh, thinking that I was suggesting everybody should consume massive amounts of salt and, and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, you know, it's not a more is better scenario, obviously. And it was specific to people who uh, exercise a lot and sweat a lot, but also people who go on pretty restrictive diets. You know, if you're not eating fast food or packaged food, you're not getting a lot of salt in your diet. And adding it back in is not only acceptable, but for active individuals, I think recommended uh, for performance. You find that people, like I mentioned with a keto diet in, uh, and even with uh, the DASH diet, they end up getting very tired, what we call the keto flu. Um, and they just get fatigued and they, they, uh, you know, because they're low in, in electrolytes and their performance in the gym will suffer. They'll have less endurance and stamina. Um, and that, those kinds of things obviously become very important for competitive athletes, but even in the general population, now I'll, I'll move from, you know, the top 1% of competitive athletes into the general population. And a lot of these folks that are just going on regular diets will, uh, start eating clean or whole foods, which, uh, you know, instead of fast food or packaged food, you get a lot lower sodium intake, which is, which is good to a point. Uh, but over restricting salt again, can start causing people to feel tired and fatigued. We also see, uh, people get so low in salt that they start having, uh, start getting dizzy and lightheaded and they'll get into a gym and maybe they'll sit down and do a leg press and then they'll stand up and they'll start getting dizzy. Some of your audience may know what that feeling's like. I see it often, especially in upper middle-aged or elderly uh, women. And I've been training, you know, all ages for over 30 years. And so I see it often enough that it's a concern if somebody stands up from a seated position and they feel dizzy. Oftentimes that's a result of uh, low sodium intake and that their their blood pressure is unable to uh, regulate itself when they stand up. And so a quick fix for that is obviously to take a dose of uh, salt before you go to the gym, so maybe in your pre-workout drink or something, whatever you enjoy. Um, affordably speaking, I've just been using sodium chloride tablets that I buy on Amazon. That's your least expensive option. Just pop a tablet with whatever you have 30 minutes to an hour before training. Uh, something that's more enjoyable might be something like a Nun tablet or some sort of uh, LMNT or uh, you know any kind of liquid IV, something that has some flavor to it, some taste to it. Uh, a lot of those have some sodium in them, and just a quarter teaspoon 
of sodium, it's about 500 milligrams, uh, can do the job to where you get to the gym and you don't have the, the lightheadedness or dizziness. This does not apply to hypertensives. People who have high blood pressure um, or are salt sensitive, and there is a percentage of the population, 20 to 30%, and most of that is influenced by uh, obesity. And uh, as a result, they have hypertension. They can see an increase in systolic blood pressure of two to three, maybe up as many as five for very sensitive people. Uh, systolic blood pressure points as a result of overconsuming sodium. And it might be recommended for them to cut back on sodium. Although uh, I think a better intervention is weight loss. And I think uh, second to weight loss will probably be a resolution of sleep apnea through using a CPAP because that contributes significantly to blood pressure. And probably right behind that would be getting sufficient potassium intake and calcium intake. Both of those help to regulate blood pressure. There's actually the more influential intervention in the DASH diet trials was not necessarily how much sodium was reduced, but how much fruits and vegetables is added to the diet, thereby increasing potassium intake. Uh, and we see that that is probably the major uh, contributor to uh, evening out that uh, that blood pressure increase um, along with calcium. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of getting in some sort of dairy, whether it's yogurt mm. or something for, uh, for not just for bone health, but also for blood pressure and general health. So that those are the interventions I like to, to, to utilize. And, uh, uh, you know, beyond those people who are hypertensive, the normal population, if they aren't eating a lot of fast food and Pringles and, you know, whatever else, <laughs> If they aren't over consuming salt, it's certainly perfectly healthy. And I would seem, say even, uh, you know, recommended certainly more enjoyable to add back a little bit of salt to meals that uh, aren't, aren't otherwise, you know, heavy in salt. And more recently, I think there was a matter of fact, to be specific, there was a, there was a particular uh, nutrition PhD and, and his, his partner that, that does a very popular, uh, very well-researched podcast who had questioned my recommendations some couple of years ago. And uh, more recently had a, a PhD salt researcher come on their podcast who basically repeated exactly what I said, that uh, larger, larger athletes with higher workloads in hot conditions require more sodium. And there is such a thing as getting too little sodium. Some people are, are reverse salt sensitive and their blood pressure will go up when they restrict salt. And others, when they go too low in salt, may have uh, that dizziness that, uh, that occurs from you know, standing up from a seated position. And so both of those recommendations turned out long-term to be accurate and uh, are, are now being repeated by uh, some of the professionals in the industry. But by no means would I suggest that, that people slam tons and tons of salt uh, you know, in, in hopes of getting some sort of, sort of performance benefit. I think you're right, you know, because one thing I've just noticed with the women in our program when they come into our program, sorry, my, my dog, hang on, I'm just going to close the door because Henry, my sausage dog, barks at everyone. Henry, shh, buddy, barks at everyone that, that walks past. Um, you know, they come in and they're, you know, taking a lot of the take the packaged foods out of their diet, you know, yep. similar approach to you with the vertical diet. Um, and one thing I've noticed is when they, sometimes we'll get them to track their salt intake 
so we'll get them to just get a little tub at the start of they weigh it and then use it throughout the day and then see how much is left. And because they're not eating any really packaged foods at all, it's only really the salt that they add and their salt intake is very low. So then we get them to actually gradually increase this, increase it. One thing I noticed consistently is a lot of people sleep, women sleep improve too when they're eating more salt. Um, which is amazing and they're feeling better and calmer. And another thing that we recommend too that a lot of, and I drink it during training is orange juice, coconut water, cream of tartar, big heap teaspoon of salt. Um, And I add some salt. Yeah. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I add some cyclic dextrin because I'm, you know, training hard and that really helps me get through that workout and too, obviously it's hot here. You sweat, you lose a lot of salt. So um, yeah, it's amazing. Well, and that's the most important thing. The workout has to be sufficient enough to gain or retain lean body mass, whether you're in a surplus and trying to grow muscle or you're in a deficit and trying to hold on to muscle tissue. And as soon as that performance starts to suffer and you get weaker and have it able to do lift less weight and for less sets and total volume, uh, you, then your muscles just don't have the stimulus to, to retain themselves. And it might not be necessarily a a problem with the muscles, but a problem with your energy levels allowing you to work out hard enough. Mm-hmm. And so I do focus on that. I, I you know, I've, I've often said there's a there was a brilliant philosopher that said weakness is never a strength. And then I would I would qualify that by saying that actually it was Mark Bell, and even a even a broken watch is right twice a day. But I've I've pretty much um, measured my entire career on everything that I've ever done on the immediate feedback of how is my training performance? Because it is immediate. And what you did within 24 to 48 hours of your training bout will usually dictate your level of performance. And if I'm dehydrated or had insufficient sleep, uh, you know, or overtrained in the previous bout, uh, it's going to impact or influence my training. And I found that, um, you know, being deficient in, for me, it was also adequate carbohydrates, as you mentioned, uh, there were a host of things that I would check off on my checklist that I had to manage outside of the gym in order to have uh, an optimal performance in the gym, which, you know, with any training program, if there isn't some sort of growth, some sort of progression over time, you're, you're just not getting better. And so that was one of the things, salt. And for a lot of people who had been restricting, uh, you know, it's extraordinary. The feedback that I get means more to me than anything else in terms of outcomes. Yes, I've looked at the research, I've listened to the professionals, I've collaborated with the PhD RDN, who's the co-author of the vertical diet. So it's not as though I haven't, you know, done, done the science on this and, and, and read the research and, and been advised by professionals. Um, but I listen to my clients and, and, I, and, I, and I understand that's at the bottom of the hierarchy of, of evidence, you know, along with anecdotes, testimonials are sitting there at the, at the very base. <laughs> But it means something to me when somebody says, oh, my God, you know, that was life changing. My performance improved, you know, those kinds of feedback that I get for a lot of people. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I am. I just love Big Stan. I think he's such a super nice guy, but also so knowledgeable. So I've had a lot of questions lately around our marine collagen and what's the difference between the marine collagen and the premium collagen? And do I need both? So the premium collagen is a bovine collagen, which is sourced from grass-fed cow hide, whereas marine collagen is sourced from wild-caught cod skin. The premium collagen contains predominantly types 1 and 3 collagen, whereas the marine contains predominantly type 1. 
both are beneficial for gut, hair, nails, skin, muscles, joints, and bones. But the bovine, the premium collagen, is particularly beneficial to joints and gut, whereas the marine collagen is particularly beneficial to the skin. Both of them are dissolvable in water, but you'll find the marine collagen is super dissolvable um, and has superior bioavailability due to the shorter chain collagen peptides. So in terms of how much to take per day, uh, the premium collagen, two to six tablespoons, depending on your needs. I personally have about two a day. And then the marine collagen, because of its superior bioavailability, uh, you can take less. So... Uh, around one tablespoon, I take about 10 grams a day. Uh, it does have a slightly fishy smell, so I don't think it's as good in coffee. So what I usually do is just mix it in a little bit of warm water and just shot it down with my breakfast. And I mix my premium collagen in with my coffee. Uh, you can either mix it in your coffee or I'll have it um, at night in ice cream. You can put it in yogurt, in juice, in smoothies. Or you can even even just do the same thing and just you know put it in some water and dissolve it and shot it down. I think the most important thing is just bloody get it in. You know, don't worry about the exact timing of it. I mean, ideally you'd eat it with muscle meats to balance out the amino acid profile. But again, I just think I just say to women, look, do it consistently whenever you can. Um, whenever you can do it. So yeah, I think it's definitely beneficial to take both. We've actually um, now that we've had it out for a few months. You can head over to our website and read some of the um, amazing testimonials we're getting uh, in terms of the improvements women are seeing in their skin, which is so cool. I interviewed a lady who did a video testimonial for me and she'd seen incredible uh, improvements in her skin and even teeth, like spot, like uh, stains on her teeth or I'll have to release the video, but yeah, it's quite, quite incredible only after a month of using it. So I'll drop a link in the show notes uh, for you and you can use discount code um, KITTY05 and that will give you 10% off the marine collagen and all of the saturated products. So yeah, let's get back to Stan and talking about salt. And then even when I look at videos or art, I watch YouTube videos or Instagram posts, questioning the recommendation, I notice over half of the comments are people saying it worked for me. And again, it's an anecdote and, and you know, put that where it may, but it's so compelling that folks, that some folks should not be restricting or they're unaware that they are restricting, like you mentioned with the, the clean diets, <laughs> uh, which is what we prefer they eat. And they have, become had a phobia or have, have become afraid to uh, add back salt. They think it's unhealthy. Let's put some numbers on it so that yeah. we can get specific for folks. Generally speaking, and this comes from the World Heart Federation, uh, Dr. Salem Youssef, who's a, a president, who's a cardiologist. He did a lot of research with the PEER study, and he wasn't right about everything in the PEER study. We've had subsequent research to suggest that um, the uh, uh, they had, had had said that there was a uh, a lot, too low a salt would cause high blood pressure in the general population. But in fact, um, with subsequent studies, we found out that was just a small percentage of people. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't everyone. So uh, their recommendation is somewhere between three and a half to four grams per day, maybe as high as five for normotensive individuals does not adversely affect their blood pressure or health outcome, long-term health outcome. So there's a number, if you want to shoot for a number of three and a half, grams of sodium a day uh, seems to across 
the general population. What's interesting about the DASH diet trials is, is that they tried to get people to consume less than two grams a day. This is the American Heart Association's recommendation, maybe even as low as 1.5. Um, what they found was is that nobody complied, which makes it a, a very, I think, uh, suspicious recommendation to begin with. Because as you know, and as I've said, compliance is the science. And if you're making recommendations to people that they're unable to adhere to, uh, that's a big waste of time, particularly if it's if it's causing them distress, you know, like we mentioned earlier, uh, loss of energy, you know, fatigue, uh, hunger, you know, whatever else. You, you shouldn't feel miserable in your diet. Uh, it's certainly not sustainable. Um, so nobody complied. There was nobody, zero people could comply with less than two grams of sodium or 1.5 grams of sodium on these studies, it was only during that trial under uh, those monitored conditions that, that, and they had high dropout rates, but long-term nobody even adhered to those numbers or was able to. So telling someone that they need to consume the DASH diet and eat less than 1.5 grams of sodium a day, I think you're doing them a disservice because you, the research suggests that nobody is able to do it. Uh, I think you, you do harm to people that way is what I think. I'd rather much, I'd much rather tell them to, try and maintain a reasonable amount, three grams, 3.5, which seems to be the average worldwide, uh, but increase their potassium and calcium intake and exercise. That would be much, a much more achievable recommendation. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are kind of the numbers. And then if you sweat significantly, and you can measure this by weighing yourself before and after training, that's what we do with our athletes and, uh, you know, CrossFitters or UFC fighters or football players, we weigh them before and after training. And for every uh, kilo of weight loss, they should consume one to 1.5 liters of water with around 500 to a thousand milligrams of salt, which can be mixed in with the water solution and about a 5% glucose solution. So about 50 grams of carbohydrates. That would be a good post-workout replenishment drink, uh, uh, the salt in particular, uh, and sufficient water. Now, you probably could consume that if you were only training once a day, mm. you could consume that with subsequent meals, be fine, and you'd be rehydrated by your next day's workout. But if you train twice a day, you should consume that immediately because you're going to be training again in four to six hours, uh, and that would help replenish you. So that subsequent bout, that second training session, would we'd have significantly better in performance as a result of, of uh, replacing those nutrients immediately after training. Yeah, it's interesting, like, because like, it's summer over here, um, and I really notice, like, the days when I train, and it's hot, and I'm sweating, like, I just crave that drink, like, during training, I'll suck it all down nearly before the end of the session, and then other, the other days when it's cool, or I'm not sweating, I just, my body doesn't crave it as much, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we use it sometimes just to satisfy hunger between meals. We might, I might in, incorporate, say, a, a flavored salt tablet in water, uh, maybe even a little bit of caffeine, 100 milligrams of caffeine, which is known to have a, a bit of a, an appetite suppressant effect. But more importantly, it kind of that dopamine effect, it, it, it gives you a little bit of mental energy so you're not focused on hunger. Mm. And so if you're having a hard time going the full four hours or five hours between meals, however you've designed your, your meal frequency for the day, whether it's three meals or four, uh, then sometimes just that little drink with a little bit of uh, salt and, and maybe again, a little, just like a hundred milligrams, not a, not a 
you know, a performance enhancing benefit, which I think somewhere between three and six milligrams per kilogram of body weight would be like a caffeine performance benefit, but just something to kind of wake your brain up and, and keep you from focusing on your stomach. Uh, we found it to be very beneficial for uh, helping mitigate some hunger and allowing people to make it to that next meal time as opposed to eating prior, which then by the end of the day, puts you in a position to where you've got this long uh, period of time before bed with no food, mm. <laughs> which is where most of the excess calories are consumed is at night. Mm. If you can't maintain satiety throughout the day. So I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of great benefits for it. I even at night, like I'll, before I go to bed, I have some like homemade ice cream with um, collagen, our collagen. And then I always just have a little bit of salt in some yeah. warm water with it before I go to bed, which really I think yeah. sleep too. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I reckon I'd eat uh, maybe 15 grams of salt a day, sometimes more if it's like, if I'm training, it's just, yeah. you, I really like salty too. Like I love yeah. salt, all my food. Like I think, oh fuck, imagine eating potatoes with no salt or eggs. No. It would just be. Well, and let, <laughs> let me say, you said 15 grams of salt. Let's make sure our audience understands that, that sodium is 40% of salt. Mm. It's sodium chloride. And so when you hear salt, salt is sodium chloride, which is 40% sodium and 60% chloride. So when you say 15 grams of salt, you're only talking about six, six and a half grams of sodium. Mm. And I had just mentioned that three and a half to four grams a day of sodium for the average person, plus about a thousand milligrams for every hard hour of training mm. that puts you right at the number that you, you just suggested, you know, and that's not, that's not a lot, you know, uh, Industry professionals that we respect have mentioned the same numbers. Dr. Andy Galpin, um, Lane Norton, they've both done videos on hydration where they have clients consuming 10 grams of sodium a day. That's over 20 grams of salt. And again, they measure that using usually using salt tests. They use the patch test like I utilized with Ben Johnson uh, uh, and uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, John Jones, I'm sorry, and, and Lane, Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles um, and a host of other athletes that I've worked with. We get them salt sensitivity tests or, or salt tests. Uh, this is out of the Heat Institute. Dr. Sandra Godick runs the Heat Institute. She's a PhD in thermoregulation and hydration. Uh, and she has a site called, I think, leveling.com. And uh, they send sweat tests, patch kits out to athletes that you can purchase so you can see if you're a salty sweater, Lane Johnson sweat out five grams of sodium an hour. Wow. And so, and you can't replace that in a huge bolus. That's another thing I mentioned. More isn't better. You'll get, uh, you'll get gastric distress and diarrhea if you try and take in too much salt and, at one time. And so that's why we like to salt meals throughout the day and then take a, a smaller bolus before and after training. Mm. And so I think, um, you know, cause in our program, we'll get women to just measure it first to see how much so they can see. And then we'll say them, look, slowly try and increase it, you know, five, 10, 15, depending on how much you need in your training. So, uh, cause I think just for our clients, they're probably not going to go and take sodium tablets. Like they just would, you know, they're training three days a week, three to four days a week. They're not like they're athletes, right. but they're not, you know, salt on your food. Yeah. 
Yeah, so they could, you know, maybe measure out a little container with 10 grams of salt and start in the morning and sprinkle it on their food, have a bit before training, and then try and use it up before they go to bed. Well, and and you want to add in the salt from your food, and you just put additional salt on your food that gets you that total number. You don't necessarily want to supplement all of the 10 grams. And that's, that's, you know, that's kind of the the plan is to, to look at what you're consuming and then you can you can supplement it with extra salt throughout the day. There's only two things really to consider. First and foremost, when you start consuming a little more salt, you may experience initially a little bit of water retention. And that's because your body is adapting to it. And usually within five to seven days, your body will, your, your kidneys will have increased their excretion rate and you will normalize. And so some initial uh, water retention should not be of concern. See how you, you are after five to six to seven days, and it should normalize. Now, for those people for whom it does not normalize, the salt-sensitive individuals with, who are hypertensive, um, then they should go back to a lower salt intake. Uh, but you could just test your blood pressure to find out if it's adversely affecting you that way. And then I wouldn't recommend somebody who has a significant elevation in blood pressure to continue to consume more salt. Obviously, again, my first intervention would be weight loss and then sleep apnea uh, remedy. And then after that, increased potassium and calcium intake, uh, potassium, magnesium, and calcium intake. And generally, I'm speaking through the diet. Potassium in particular. Yeah, I was going to say, Stan, do you want to quickly talk through, like, so where do we get calcium, potassium, magnesium, the foods? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about those numbers then. Potassium, you should probably be getting over 4,500 milligrams of potassium a day. Uh, That's... Uh, usually the, the richest sources would be potato. It's twice as much potassium as a banana. So I have a potato in everybody, all of my clients' diets for that reason, whether weight loss or weight gain, a daily potato. And it's delicious. Uh, <laughs> and it's delicious, yeah. Potato, fruit, and yogurt. If you started including those three things, and, you, and the added benefit from all of those things is, is you know, more fiber, fruit, polyphenols, yogurt, calcium. I mean, they're just, it's a great, you know, I think foundation for anybody's diet. Uh, and you can get your 45 to 4,700 milligrams of potassium from the, the potato, fruit, and yogurt. Uh, calcium, there you are, 1,000 milligrams a day. You can get that from your dairy consumption. And if you can't tolerate lactose, then the, uh, the fat-free Greek yogurts are usually much, much lower in lactose and better tolerated. And, uh, and the magnesium, sometimes you got to supplement that. It's hard to get magnesium from food. There's some in almonds. And you know, it's just kind of difficult to get sufficient magnesium, maybe some spinach. Uh, but we supplement that 400 milligrams a day or thereabouts uh, with a magnesium supplement. That would be my, my go-to for mitigating uh, blood pressure elevation or even managing things like water retention. You see women sometimes, particularly at certain times of the month or in pregnancy, uh, they'll get edema, they'll get you know, water retention around the ankles, et cetera. You increase your potassium intake and the vast majority of people will, will realize a resolution in that problem within just 48 hours. And so that's another big reason, women in particular, why we recommend to be rich in potassium, uh, not only because those foods are so healthy for you, the ones that contain potassium, but uh, because it does help with water balance in the diet. And give it, you know, like I said, about a few days, uh, maybe up to a week if you start gradually increasing your sodium intake to level out. Secondarily to the uh, monitoring the blood pressure and the water retention, which we just discussed, I think, at length, would be... um, uh, salt concentration. If you're going to consume salt, then make sure you consume sufficient water, which is in most whole foods anyhow. So you'd be adding salt into a diet. The, the people who get in trouble with salt 
and salt concentration, meaning not a, not sufficient water with the salt intake. That's what we call salt salt concentration. If you get sufficient water uh, with the salt intake, then uh, that can mitigate some concerns with you know any health any adverse health impacts. Uh, that usually happens with ultra processed food. You know, think potato chips. You know, processed foods are dried out for a reason because they get a longer shelf life. And then you throw salt in there on top of it. Now you're eating, uh, and this isn't a good food, bad food conversation necessarily. I don't want to demonize these foods necessarily, but I'm just saying that you should eat less of them and more water with them if they're higher in salt. Uh, and so if you're going to add salt into your food and you're eating whole foods, you know, and your meal has some fruits and some yogurts and, you know, even meats are aren't they north of 70%, 60 plus percent water. Uh, whole foods are generally pretty rich in water. Most fruits, 80, 90% water, you know, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, all those things, oranges. Uh, so you, yeah, you generally aren't going to get yourself into very much trouble putting salt, a uh, little salt back into a whole food diet. It's when you get those ultra processed snacks, those chips and crackers and, and those kinds of things that you're getting a huge salt bolus uh, along with uh, you know, insufficient water intake. So either drink more with them if you're going to eat those foods. Uh, but those are the two things that I try and, and, and recommend. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that was, uh, that was great. Stan, is there anything else you want to add before we finish up that we haven't covered? No, I, I think that that pretty much covers all of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, and salt is just delicious too. It makes every food taste nice. Like cooking, imagine not cooking like without salt. No, I, okay. I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> I made a spaghetti bolognese yesterday. I put heaps of salt in there, heaps of basil, heaps of salt. It's just yum. Yeah, yeah. It, it can certainly be utilized to enjoy your diet and for your energy. And I think we covered enough to where it can be done so responsibly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Stan. Thanks for coming on again for that short and sweet podcast. I'll pop um Stan's instagram handle in the show notes that's got all you can go there go to his website see his vertical diet see everything that he does and uh the, the next time i have stand on we're going to talk about red meat which will be great because i think that's another one that's pretty demonized too agreed yeah awesome thanks so much dan we'll talk to you again soon thank you 